Hi, everyone. It's great to see you in Notes to My Legal Self. It's a place where I talk to in-house legal leaders and general counsel about their personal aspirations, career aspirations, and community aspirations, not always at the same time. And the reason is because we all know that in-house professionals are humans first, and you can be anything and still be very effective in-house giving legal advice. Um, a few in-flight instructions. I have a fantastic speaker. I always ask, and I will never stop asking. This is a conversation where we learn from our peers. Um, I'm a former in-house lawyer and a former general counsel. This is my community, and I love learning from it. And I know you do as well, because many of you tune in here and on podcasts. So if you know somebody, a leader in-house community, uh, especially if that leader never has spoken before, definitely nominate them. And if that leader happens to be you, definitely nominate yourself. Nothing like a self-nomination. In fact, I think it's one of the highest acts of courage. So definitely do that. With that in mind, I'm going to welcome my guest, Chad. It is fantastic to have you on the show. You've been recommending now a few people. I am super excited about this conversation. Please introduce yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me. So my name is Chad Abood, and I'm based in Toronto. And I am the general counsel of a portfolio of companies um, called the Audience View Portfolio, which does uh, B2B and B2C tech for the live events industry around the world. So whether you like to go to professional sports or music or comedy or plays, uh, we have tech products and, and B2C platforms that speak to that space. And so I've been a general counsel there for the past three years. Um, I always ask my guests to tell us uh, not only where they are, but how they got there. What was the route uh, to the current amazing job you have today? You know, I grew up thinking I'd be a lawyer because I like the show Matlock, that Andy Griffith show. He just <laughs> made everyone admit everything on the stand. And I was like, oh, I guess I should be that guy. Um, turns out being a general counsel is not quite like that, but still good. So I started in big law, actually. I was doing M&A corporate finance for public companies or companies that wanted to go public. And uh, how did you make it, make your way in-house? What was it? What was the moment where, because no, I remember that moment, when I went to a big law, I actually didn't really think in-house was even a thing. And then I had a moment and then it became really clear. When did you reach a moment of clarity to go in-house? I think... The thing for me is I'm a pretty curious cat. And so I like to ask lots of questions and I like to always find ways to take out stuff that I feel isn't adding value. And so, you know, I was always thinking like, what about this? Can we learn from this? What about this person? And I was curious about non uh, people who weren't lawyers. I was curious about things we could cut out of the process. And, you know, at that time, you know, maybe this is like seven or eight years ago, I, I just kind of felt like the place that I, you know, the kind of place and time where I was at in legal services at that time, I wasn't going to be able to, to scratch that itch. And so that's when I, I shifted and I actually traveled around the world with my partner for six months and left Big Law. Wow. So you took a career break. Yeah, we did. I was a few years away from becoming partner. My my life partner was actually just a few months away from becoming partner. And um, we just kind of felt like, you know, no kids at the time, no other kind of static things really holding us. And we said, well, you know, there's so many wishes that you could do this in the future, but it's not always promised. And so we said for our personal and professional benefit, 
we just really wanted to take the time. So, you know, Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, South America, across Canada, we did six months. Wow. I, I love it. You know, I, I kind of, I had a different moment. Uh, also, well, someone was with my partner, someone was out. Uh, but I think it was the first time in my life where I could afford not to work. And I was like, wow. I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, it was the most liberating thing I've done. And I really, really, that freedom and, and that time to reflect was really helpful. That is a very important question. The question about transferable skills, you learn um, you know, by being in house, I'm just curious, how do you sort of conceptualize what your skill set and how do you think of it, you know, in your, you know, transitions from before to today to maybe in the future? It's a great question. And it was something that was really asked of me when I was transitioning in house. And so my first transition was to one of Canada's largest retail e-tail brands. And I was coming from public company M&A corporate finance, and that wasn't you know, what the role was going to be about. And I kept getting pushed on like, well, how are you going to transition? And what I said, the most transitional thing is I'm a really curious guy who cares a lot about other people's point of view. Because I'm naturally curious and I want to learn, humans naturally want to share with you what they think. And I think that's the most transferable skill, actually, is letting other people know you have humility, you're curious, you care. And as soon as you can create that bond with people, they want to open up to you. And, you know, lawyers are smart folks. You can learn lots of different areas of law. But I think that's the skill that really helped bridge me most comfortably to kind of the industry in-house environment. Yeah, curiosity is especially at smaller companies where you have larger roles and you do what you're supposed to do as a lawyer and maybe other things. I think that's that's a definitely an important skill. What about hard skill? What is, what do you think is the most important hard skill? Yeah, so you know, I shifted areas of law from from kind of securities corporate finance to a lot of corporate commercial law. And I think really that was around negotiation styles. And so, you know, one of the big ones that I'm a big proponent of is when you hit those classic things in a in a contract whether it's limitation liability indemnity that people get stuck on is I think the main thing is operational truth. And so that's the skill that I think about a lot is instead of talking about theoretical risk shifting, I talk about how something operates. So now I'm on the vendor side, SaaS platform, and I talk about these are the processes that allow a SaaS platform to be a great product and to provide consistent services. That's just an operational truth. So you're asking for something very specific, but that would actually break the model, which is the thing that you want to buy. So I really like an operational truth model when I'm negotiating kind of commercial points with, with clients. I love that term. Never heard that term before. Is that your term? The I mean, I say it. I don't know. I'm going to call it my Okay. Now. Okay. It is yours now. Um, I love it. And I, it's so, so true, right? A lot of the negotiation is really process of education, how this works and how we can kind of be married yes. together and be successful together. What do you, and, and, and that's very important, no matter what your size is, right? As a, of your yeah. organization, I'm going to actually push you a little more because that is a substantive skill and we all can benefit from that. That is a very important conversation when you negotiate and you negotiate all the time, especially when you're in house, that operational truth conversation, like let's root this hypothetical legal conversation in my and your business realities. So that whatever we agree on paper actually makes sense in the world and we can actually run successful businesses and make money in the process. Um, how do you structure that conversation? Like practically speaking, 
you know, like what is the method? What is your method? <laughs> yeah. So what I like to do, and I, I use this internally because I feel like one of the most important skills that an in-house lawyer can have is actually to educate and empower business team members because that's how you scale humans actually. And so I, I like to use stories where, you know, so I'm in the SaaS world and a lot of buyers, you know, may feel like it's a software development model where they want a lot of specific things. So they want to own the IP or they want you to eat all the risk. And I use stories where I'll say like, you know, listen, say that you don't have the hobby of fixing things around your house. And so you want to bring someone in to fix it. Well, they're not going to do it the exact same way that you might do it if you're doing it yourself. But you get the benefits of someone who's this is what they do. It's their experience. It's their expertise. They're going to do it at a time that you agree upon for a price that you find reasonable. And you're going to get a result that has worked for many, many, many other people. It's not so different when you're selling something like SaaS. You know, if if you want something that works and is done by an expert, well, the, the other side of the and at a great price, the other side of the coin is it might not be 100% the way if you developed it on your own. But that's the trade off. And so I try to route these, you know, ethereal discussions in the actual reality of things that would happen in our personal lives, because I think that resonates. And I, I do find that when you talk to reasonable people, they hear you because in the yeah. end, they know that it's not worth to get into an agreement with somebody who's not going to be happy or successful or making money in it, because that is a highly temporary agreement. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Or you can talk about, do you want a piece of paper that makes you feel better? Or do you want a vendor that you like and rely upon with a product that helps your business but you have to eat a few things on the theoretical risk on the paper. Like for me, when I was on the buy side, I never preferred paper that promised me things that I didn't think would be delivered. I would always tell my functional leads, buy from a vendor you trust, like, is responsible with a product that helps our business grow. If we have to eat a little bit of theoretical risk, I'll take that trade. I love that. I love the way you think. I, I think everything you just shared are pieces of gold. And I hope all of you have been taking great notes. I am taking that operational truth thing to heart. I think uh, all of us in house, one way or another, intuitively practice, especially when we become successful. But I like the term. The term is good. Uh, you should Go use that. <laughs> yeah, it's a great I'll term. send a royalty agreement over. <laughs> I know you'll give me a, a free license. Very good. I don't, need, I don't need to own it just to use it with your permission. <laughs> um, let's talk about legal industry because there is this thing, and, and you know, we had a brief conversation before, and I've seen you very being active on LinkedIn. And kudos to you for being in house lawyer active on LinkedIn because there's increasingly more and more of us, but there used to be just very few. I was going to say one, and I know that one, but um, I, it, was, it used to be a lonely place, but now it's not a lonely place anymore. I'm really excited to see folks share on platforms, especially like LinkedIn. And one of the things you keep mentioning is the sort of milestone uh, structure of the, of, the, of the profession and how it is problematic. Tell me what you mean by that and why do you think it's a challenge? Here's one problem that I think, you know, I've been on both sides, the sell side and the buy side of legal services. 99% of the time, clients are looking for someone, not the 1% top person in the world that does this international tax unique issue. It's not what most clients want 99% of the time. They want someone who's competent and good at what they do, but a whole bunch of other things, you know, friendly, business-minded, practical, listens, has humility. And, 
except 99% of law firm marketing collateral is based on we're the best. So it's pulling this one lever of we're the best, we're the best, we're the best, when 99% of the time, that's not what the buyer is solely focused on. And so I think that's the part where the value proposition is actually moving a little bit farther away. And it doesn't need to because law firms could get so much more free lead gen from referrals. They could bond with their clients over pulling more levers, the humility lever, the curiosity lever, the friendliness lever, the connectivity lever to other types of businesses. But instead, it's just pulling this one of we're the best. And I think that that's a lost opportunity. That's a very interesting observation. And, and it kind of starts early. It starts in like in law school, probably well before. That's, that's kind of where like professionally trained to be the best, right? Yes. And I also, so I think you're bang on. And I also think it's a fallacy the way that we're taught it. So we're taught be the best. And, and you know, most law schools grade on a curve. And so then you get your grade back. And, you know, if you did well in the curve, then you get this beautiful letter or number, however your school did it. But what it doesn't tell you is you could have gotten a 40 out of 100 on the exam. It's just that it was a tough course with a bad prof. And so everyone else got a 30. Well, that's a fallacy even of trying to be the best at something. You feel that you're the best, but are you even competent? And so whether you are the best or whether it's a fallacy, you're also leaving that determination in the eyes of the beholder. So so let's say a firm says, we're the best at this tax thing. We're the best at this tax thing. Well, I decide whether you're the best for me. And so even if you did manage somehow to be the best, you still are relying upon the buyer to believe you. That's a big risk. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, at some, I, I used to work at many, many startups. Um, you know, as a general counsel, I'm a number two lawyer, as a junior lawyer. And, you know, in, in, especially in smaller organizations, you're often interviewed by someone who's not a lawyer. There may be a general counsel. There may not be a general counsel, depending what you're applying for. And I always would say, you know, it's funny. They actually, like many, many folks who are not lawyers, they can't really, t they cannot really tell a difference between a privacy lawyer and security lawyer yes. and, 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 and securities lawyer and the corporate lawyer and the litigator and the family lawyer. I mean, totally. they, they really can't. But what they can tell is whether you're a good human. I mean, they can, yes. they can definitely tell. I used to put a more colorful language. They can tell if you're a B, you know? Yeah. They can yeah. definitely tell that. But, right. you know, and, and, and then does the rest really matter? Because at some point, you don't have to be the best to deliver amazing services that your customer need. And in fact, the ability to be a team member and ability to uh, like rally up and That's read right. the room, maybe just so much more important than, you know, producing the best advice because frankly, you know, that's stable stakes. Is it needed? Would it be used? Would anyone appreciate it? Like those are all the things you're talking about. I talk to a bunch of law firms about this sometimes and I say the brass tax value prop of a lawyer in a firm there's other things, but it basically comes down to book a business you have or you support plus hours. Okay, so let's park that. The, the value prop for an in-house lawyer, to your point, is a combination of corporate success and stakeholder perception. So if my company's industry does amazing versus not, that has no difference upon how substantively smart I am as a lawyer. And to your point, tons of my value prop is based upon how much people enjoy working with me personally, and if they feel like they're learning and being formed in a way they're receptive to. 
So yeah. the value prop is just so different. Yeah, it's funny. We just recently I was just interviewing Caroline Herzog for a few episodes ago, and her the name of her episode was "Perception is Reality." And I think she yes. was very mind driving at this point. She's a successful general counsel of public companies, recently made yet another amazing transition. Um, it was really great to catch up, but she, she said she learned this very early on that perception is reality. And I can't agree more with it. I very much love that, you know, from your point of view in another country, um, at a different size industry, you are confirming exactly the same truth um we have a few folks that i want to say shout out because we have loyal people who show up and i want to make sure that we we give them a hello jessica thank you for stopping by and she's giving you kudos for humility i agree with jessica humility is definitely one of those things that is completely underrated and undertaught um, it gets massively important, especially when you are in the position of giving an advice. Advice is something you give and it evaporates and other people don't have to take it. They choose to take it. And, you, and if you're not humble, the, the choice will never happen. Um, right. I, I really love Charlotte. Charlotte, thank you hey, for Charlotte. joining. She works with many in-house teams and uh, good morning to you too. And uh, I'm going to put Jessica back on the board because, hey, she quotes me, so I may as well. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give a shout out to somebody who's quoting yeah. me. <laughs> so um, I, I want to go back to the conversation you started about taking six months off, you know, to really kind of find yourself. And, um, and I really want to kind of pivot into conversation of fulfillment and mm. what you need to change to get there. What happened in those six months? Was it helpful on that journey? Totally. And so, you know, probably the biggest thing we learned is, you know, Toronto's like any big North American city. You know, it's it's very fast paced and everyone's very impatient because everyone's trying to get their badges of honor about how many things they did that it's day. It's a beautiful city. I'm re really well, familiar with Toronto. My my previous company was headquartered in Toronto. My only rule about Toronto, if you want to know, is that do not travel there between December and January. Unless you really enjoy that turbulent experience in the air that makes you hug yeah. the person you're next to and 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 say goodbye and thank yeah. you and hope for the best. If you don't like that, don't fly between like November, January, but otherwise a fantastic, beautiful place with a lot of innovation and, and entertainment and amazing cuisine and, and, and history and all of that. <laughs> That's very true and they're very kind of you to say. Um, and so I guess, I guess the biggest thing we realized because we traveled to, you know, 30 something countries and, you know, every country and even every city kind of has its own style. And it really hit us maybe three quarters of the way through our trip. We were in, um, in Buenos Aires in, in Argentina and people were having meals that, you know, four or five hours at dinner time, And, and whoever was waiting on you would like bring the cup and then come back and bring the forks. And, when you're from kind of a North American major city, you're kind of like, don't you just do like the eight things at one time and let's go and even traveling, nothing to do. And we're like frustrated that this was taking like so long. And then we realized in that moment that for all the different reasons that places kind of develop is people value different things with their money, their time, their energy. And simply because you grew up somewhere, 
doesn't mean that's objective truth. That's just circumstance. And if you open your mind to how things are done in other places by other folks, you might realize that the circumstance in which you grew up, that's just a coincidence. But the things that could really speak to you and fulfill you, they can come from anywhere. And so that was a big moment for us in terms of fulfillment. I love that. I love that where you grew up is not who you are necessarily. Um, That's just just all you know. That's right. That's That's just all you know. That's that's very interesting. So what happened? What happened? It sounds like there was a learning curve there. Uh, what, What happened? What happened after? So when we were coming back, you know, I would have been a great, you know, senior associate plug and play, you know, right into a big firm culture again. And, you know, the kind of curious cat in me that's always kind of been there, plus the opening my mind to, you know, what I know might not be true for me. Those two things started compounding. And I said, I'm not going back into something that is great for many people, but I don't think it was my calling. And so I said, I wanted to go into industry because my curiosity will lead me to learn about the marketing team and the tech team and, you know, all of the HR team. And I just wanted to learn and be around people who didn't, you know, go through the exact same path that I did. And so, you know, a kind of pre-pandemic world, you're more local. So I was like, well, I'm going to find a place that's in Toronto. That's a cool brand because I want to kind of feel the passion of seeing my work come to life. I want it to be a bigger company so I can see all the functions, but be a smaller legal team. And I have to convince them to hire someone who's worked in public company M&A and corporate finance. So it was actually like a pretty niche thing I was looking for. And Indigo, which is, you know, Canada's kind of Barnes and Noble or, you know, that kind of company, they were looking for someone. And, um, that was where my journey took me. That was where the traveling and the journey took me was to get into industry that way. I love it. Um, so you, 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 you've done a few things and I had many learnings and I, and I love how you're open to sharing that here on LinkedIn, um, in other places. I know you speak a lot too. Um, and you do uh, LinkedIn live conversations every other Friday uh, with a co-host. Uh, so if you're interested to hear more of Chad's view, go there. Uh, he is definitely a fantastic person to follow. I encourage that. Um, just curious, you know, given sort of the wealth of your experiences, what are sort of low, no cost things all of us can do as in-house leaders, you know, to be better as humans, as in-house leaders, as, as business professionals? Yeah. So this has kind of been a big part of my journey recently was I started paying attention to all of the, we all have this, all of the really positive thoughts that flash through your mind. Like that person was great to speak with. That was a great idea they had. Wow. I see that other person doing something amazing that I don't even really know. We have this, it happens all the time, but it's gotta be something like nine out of 10 times. It just flashes through our mind and moves on. And I started saying to myself, you don't have to put that much effort into bringing those things to life. You already think them. You already know who they're directed at. You already know the substance of what they did that you enjoyed. You got to get it out. You got to tell them. And so whether it's in the professional context of like sending, you know, very specific thank yous to a person or to their manager, but also in the LinkedIn world of like celebrating all of the goodness that so many people are bringing, I've just started being very intentional about that. And it's made a massive impact for me. Yeah. Well, no similar legal self, in fact, is a celebration of others. It always has been. 
one or another. Um, and, and that's kind of how I started sharing, quote unquote, my ideas. I really was interviewing others who achieved quite a few things, but never been interviewed. And I was the only person who was excited to do that for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, my motivation was is because I, 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 you know, when I'm stressed, I like any other lawyer, I, I, I research, I Google. And I, when I didn't find anything useful, I started interviewing. And then I heard a few people and I'm like, how come it's not shared? And then I said, I will be sharing that. Um, and, and it turns out amplifying other is a really, really powerful thing. But let's talk about impact. Uh, we both just shared the stories of amplifying others and how powerful that can be for yourself, for others, for the community. Um, what impact have you personally seen? What, what, what have you found to be the most interesting and inspiring and that keeps you going to do this? Yeah, so, I mean, this is the amazing thing about celebrating and supporting others is that when you do that, you not only lift that person, which creates opportunities for them, but you actually lift yourself. So you lift yourself altruistically because you can't stop the good feelings of supporting people. That's just natural. And the second thing is, is that if this is authentic to you, is that people will see that and that'll amplify opportunities for, to you as well. So it's double the impact in a, in a selfless way instead of only amplifying your own voice. So here's a super tactical example is that I just started doing that. On LinkedIn. I, I didn't really have a purpose. I didn't plan the next step. I just wanted to recognize goodness in this industry. And because of that, I've made a whole bunch of like deep connections, which are the same people that recommended me to you. So I wouldn't even be here if I hadn't started celebrating other people. And we didn't know each other. I didn't know about your podcast. I didn't think about how I could be a guest because I was kind of only started engaging in LinkedIn a few months ago. But it was because I said to myself, there's too much goodness out there that's just falling away and it deserves recognition and that's what brought me here awesome i just love that you're here and i love the way you think and if you're thinking if you want to be like chad when you grow up <laughs> put out the goodness and get on my show that's kind of the lesson here that is <laughs> do not make it lost on you i'm gonna ask you kind of on this journey of amplifying others which is i find infinitely satisfying and miraculous and unexpected and and just joyful all around there's sort of a surprise around every corner um and sometimes it's a surprise you kind of expect maybe and sometimes it's like completely unexpected what has surprised you the most uh you know what what surprises that 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 you encountered on your way sure so you know i guess the kind of altruistic one is my entire life i was always told you work hard enough you're nice enough you're reliable enough you're smart enough and I never really passionately cared about all of the things I was achieving. And I just kind of thought that was life. And in the last year, since I've been celebrating other people or trying to share my experiences and my ideas for other people to learn from, if it's useful for them, the feedback I've gotten has been, you're passionate about this. You're creative. This is refreshing. I had never heard that feedback in my life. That was the biggest surprise to me. I never thought I was, I was always an athlete growing up. And, you know, when I grew up, you're either artistic or an athlete. There was no overlap. And I never thought I was ever going to be considered creative. This has shocked me because these are the natural things that I think about all of the time. And so that has been a massive shock and impact to me personally. And then I guess the other thing I would say is the impact that you can have on others. If you do something that naturally is passionate to you and you share that for others' benefit, you will actually see the physical impact on them when you talk to them. 
And the things they say back to you are shocking. Things that you've never heard before when you work tirelessly hard at the law. They're just so appreciative and you've maybe had an impact on their life. Oh, I love it. I hope you guys all heard that. <laughs> that requires no summary or paraphrasing. That was just pure gold. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And, um, and yes, that, that, that's something I've been practicing now for like a while too. So you and I <laughs> are on the same page we'll be for a long time, Chad. Let's talk a little bit about barriers because, you know, I'll share, I'll share then you share. You know, like for a while, this has been a lonely place <laughs> on social media. I've been accused of, you know, self-promotion and, and um, all kinds of other things. Um, and I had a benefit of seeing this industry transform, especially in pandemic, but actually well before, but definitely during the pandemic, um, you know, but, you know, we definitely see lawyers just generally being reluctant to, to just speak publicly, um, on social media. And I would say in-house lawyers are even more so because there's just no pressure to bring in business. Mm. Um, and so there is sort of, um, behind the scene nature of the work and us being the trusted advisors who amplify somebody else's ideas and I've never really seen. But then many of us actually want to be seen and recognized and kind of disappointed that that's not organically happened yet we're not allowing it to happen. And I found that to be a huge barrier, you know, and like I, I share a lot of writing and videos and, at, you know, it, sometimes when I stop, people tell me, why do you, like, for, at some point I stopped sharing notes to my legal self. And many people written to me and said, I was an avid listener. Why did you stop? And I was like, I would have not known about it. You never right. even liked my post. You never thanked me privately or definitely right. publicly. You've never reshared. Thank you for letting me know after I stopped. I found that for a while, I've been doing this for like now almost 10 years, really frustrating. Now I sort of accept it as, 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 as truth and I see this transform and I measure impact in a different way. But for me, that was a barrier to say because I was like, I'm just like a crazy person who's talking to myself, you know, virtually speaking. You know, that's a yeah. definition of, you know, insanity. <laughs> and I'm doing it publicly. So, and for me, that was like a huge barrier to overcome. I mean, even sometimes in my lowest low, I still, I'm like, am I talking to myself here? Again? I'm here. I'm here. Uh, this is not a dream. I'm on the other side. There's all these people in the chat. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What are you, what barriers have you seen? Yeah. So boy, and, and the point you raised about lawyers, the stats on LinkedIn are something like 99% consumption, 1% creation, right? And it doesn't feel that way because when you're on there, you see all this creation, but that's kind of the divide. And so many lawyers, they're just pure consuming. They don't even engage with a like button. And I've had experiences like you where I've talked to someone who I knew five years ago and I talked to them randomly about something and they're like, wow, you don't know how you helped me get through this stage by sharing these things. And I'm thinking like, wow, I haven't even heard from you in five years, you know? And um, so totally with you on that. I, I do get a lot from some lawyers, even the ones I know well are like, hey, what's the angle, man? Like, you know, all of a sudden you're all over LinkedIn and you're doing these videos and you're trying to, like, what's the deal? And here's where I came to, which is I had to like make peace with myself about like what my ultimate passion and value proposition is and, and double down on that. Not trying to, 
fight the waves of what other people are good at and, and, you know, measuring myself up against more of my weaknesses, but instead focusing on what I'm passionate about. And I think when you do that, when you focus in on your passion, you stop worrying about external results. So this is the first time in my life I have done anything where I have not cared about the results. If I post something on LinkedIn and I'm no Olga, so I don't get, you know, 8 billion likes, but if I post something that gets 30 versus 150 or one comment versus 60, I don't care. I don't care because it is fulfilling and important and magical to me for myself to do it. And I think once you get in that space, you wipe away so many of the barriers that prevent lawyers from being more human. Yeah, I think when you have conversations with lawyers, you have to find a way to measure success in more than um, in more than just likes and 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 comments. Um, it's it's a um, it's a it's a privilege to be in a position to talk to this industry. This is a very special industry. Um, and I, I definitely got on the other side of fulfillment, finding fulfillment in other ways um, and measuring success in other ways. I, and I've now been doing this long enough that, you know, people would say, oh, 10 years ago, not 10 years ago, <laughs> I heard you speak or I read this and that made a big impact in my life. And wow. I still remember to this day, there are people like, oh, I randomly wrote you on LinkedIn and I asked you to talk to my friend and you did. And that made a big difference both to me and to my friend. I don't, and I don't remember the conversation. I think it, it is, and at this point I have such a huge accumulation of those moments and private conversations and experiences and numerous career opportunities later because frankly every, the, the last four jobs i received was because of stuff like this and sharing and being engaged that it's it's actually almost doesn't matter how many likes or comments uh, right. or views what matters is how many people you touch and what i know with the data for the last 10 years that number is not small <laughs> and that and 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 i feel the impact back so it's it but it but it takes like a certain maturity and growth as a human to get on the other side of it um I, i've certainly had many moments of anxiety and insecurity yeah. about it <laughs> i get it but you're talking about something that's so magical which is when you start engaging you can't conjure up the opportunities that are going to be created like i i couldn't have created this by forcing it myself you know this comes from supporting other people and then those people see you for who you are and they see your passions and then they want to support you back it's just it's just fundamental humanity and so you know you talk about the four last career moves is like this doesn't surprise me at all because this has been my experience over only, you know, five to 12 months is that the more you engage, the more you share who you are, what you're passionate about, you couldn't even have come up with the people around the world that are looking for you, but they don't know who you are. So how are they supposed to find you if you don't tell them who you are? And as soon as you do through selflessness or through letting people know your ideas or your experiences, they want to find you. They're just not local. They're not sitting next door. And so you have to put yourself out there to create those opportunities. Chad, I, 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 you and I can talk all day. I think we're just sort of siblings from a different mother. 
Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, we found each other. Um, I'm gonna call my mom to find out what's up. <laughs> what's next? That's my last question for you. What's next, and what is the takeaway? There's many in this conversation, but maybe if you want to highlight something, what's next for you, and uh, what is the takeaway for for this amazing audience? Yeah, so I think the takeaway for me is I stopped worrying about what the next thing is. I think for me, the most important thing is in each day, being as real to myself and not worrying about what people think the consequences are. Because I believe that if you show up with good intent on things you're passionate about, the opportunities will come to you. So even if, and this is what stops a lot of lawyers from being themselves, even if you feel like your current employer might not love it if you're yourself, that's almost the answer. But there's other people who will want you for that. There are very few people who are who are tugging at their own passions. And so for me, that's kind of the, the immediate. And then I let all the medium and long-term stuff just play off that itself because I couldn't possibly come up with all of the opportunities that can come by just being myself. Um, so that's, that's what it's for me. And then the takeaway that I would say to people is if you do not believe altruistically that celebrating and supporting other people is your jam, that is also cool. You can also do that for tactical reasons, if that's better for you. Because as long as more people are out there recognizing the goodness in others, even if it's because you're saying to yourself, I'm doing this to build my network, I'm doing this for whatever other tactical reason, that's also okay because it's better for the industry that more people get celebrated and it will start powering you. You don't need to feel that energy before you do it. Do it and you will feel it. So I would say, think about the impact you feel by celebrating someone today. Go do it and see what happens. Send a note to the C-suite of your client saying, as you know, Sarah's a legend. And I just wanted to tell you because she does this, this, and this, and just watch the reaction chain. That'll prove it to you. Oh, I just love it. Do that. I have nothing to end here. Thank you so much. Though This was a fantastic conversation. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you so much, Chad. My takeaways, I really, really, really love the operational truths. That is such a useful concept in your in-house legal practice. I, I am I am really inspired by amplifying other message, but that operational truth term, I love it. I, I think Go I'm going to use it. I, I think I got Go a license it. too. I, and That's I think right. I have <laughs> agreement on air, right, Chad? I you have got that. it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> so then definitely... You know, my second takeaway is take time off. You know, taking time off is definitely a good idea. You, you get on the other side, you get an opportunity to reflect and really figure out what's important to you. And then absolutely, I love the this intentional amplifying others on social media, in your everyday, that note about Sarah, that is a great idea. Do that. Uh, you, you cannot do better than that in life. Um, and then, of course... If you know somebody who would be amazing on the show that we can learn from, either, you know, tips and tricks of your practice, we can really geek out, say, on, you know, my favorite thing, contracts or anything else for that matter. Or we can talk about career. I love talking about how you grow in-house. I've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about that. And then, you know, we are also community members, parents, and all kinds of other things. Anything you want to share because in-house lawyers, in-house professionals are humans first. And that life outside of our everyday practice makes us humans and actually makes us better at what we do. If you know someone who would be amazing for this conversation that we can learn from together, let me know who that is. DM me. 
I am pretty responsive. I am about, you know, 7,000 messages behind this week, but I will get on top of it and I will answer every person who written to me. I look forward to hearing from you. And with that, have an amazing Friday and a fantastic weekend. And the summer is almost here and enjoy that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a loyal audience, whether you quietly watch me and my guests or actually participate. I love you all. Have a good one.